I know many of you can relate to today's episode. Have you sat down, and I bet you have, because I have, sat down, scratching my head, wondering whether I've been a good mother, whether I've helped my kids enough, helped them with what they needed in life, not just with homework, but emotionally. Have I been there for them as best as I could? And was I really the mother I could have, should have been? I know I have asked myself those questions. In today's expert interview, we're finding out how our unconscious limiting beliefs that we took on as a child has influenced us dealing with our loved ones and especially with our children, raising them. So if you're thinking that this episode is only for moms that currently have children, hold on to your seat and stick with me because this episode will be enlightening for any mom of kids at any age, whether they're at home, whether they're gone, whether you're going currently through the transition of becoming an empty nester, and you will have quite a few aha moments as we're talking today with our guest about becoming me while raising you, a mother's journey to herself. I know you will find many nuggets of information that you can use for yourself in wherever you are right now as a mother. Hi, I'm Heike Yates, and I am the host of this show. I want to welcome all the new listeners to the podcast, and thank you for being here today. And if you are here and have been here with me, Welcome back, and also I want you to share this episode with anybody that you know can benefit from this episode. I would love it if you share it far and wide. You can also listen to this podcast on any major podcasting platforms and YouTube. Have you heard yet about the Fasted and Fit Over 50 Jumpstart? No? Here it is. It's a brand new program for you. There are seven essential lessons in this non-intimidating course teaching you simple intermittent fasting strategies combined with Pilates exercises, ideal for someone starting out with intermittent fasting and Pilates exercises that can be done anywhere. The program is designed for empty nester moms over 50, just like you, to reclaim her health, feel stronger and leaner. Why not jumpstart your health today? I'll leave a link in the show notes. And now without further ado, let's jump in to today's feature content. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower empty nester moms over 50 to take back their health and strength to feel vibrant in their second half of life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of empty nester moms around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best, taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and reliable so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring guests 
who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best in life so that you know you're not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Well, hey, everybody. So excited you're joining me for today's guest expert interview. My guest is Kim Minch. She's a Jai Institute of Parenting Certified conscious parenting coach who specializes in working with mothers of kids ages 10 and up. Kim works under the umbrella title of Becoming Me While Raising You, A Mother's Journey to Herself. This title includes a number one release in the parenting adult-child relationship available on Amazon. Also a digital TV series by the same name. Knowing moms are the emotional barometer of in their family, Kim is passionate about educating, supporting, and encouraging her clients to raise their children with intention and guidance rather than fear and control. Welcome to the show, Kim. Heike, I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me here. You know, we were just before we started recording, we of course chat a little bit and we had connected, to, we connected to each other a long time ago, and I was finally able to have Kim on the show. And we're super excited that we actually almost meet each other in person, even if it's Zoom. <laughs> as in person as possible. And I, and I do love that. I'm really excited to talk with you and with your audience today. Now, if you're dialing in or if you're listening and you're thinking, ah, this is not for me. Um, my kids have already left the empty nest. I'm an empty nester or I'm just about. What does this have to do with me as a woman over 50 that's an empty nester? So don't click unclick yet and scroll past. Hang in there. This episode will apply very much to where you are in life. So, Kim, what is a Jai? Jai, what, what the Jai, I mean. Jai Institute for Parenting is the program that I went through to get certified to become a parent coach. And I have always worked with parents whose kids are 10 and up. And now I would say even more prevalent, I'm working with parents whose kids are 18 to 30. I, that's really becoming an area that I'm working with a lot of moms on. And I market myself to moms because as you say, moms are the emotional barometer in their family. And when mom is working on herself and she's emotionally, physically, spiritually, you know, healthy and in a good place, it ripples out to everybody else in the family. What does a conscious parenting coach do? Well, my goodness, that's a, that's a big question. A conscious parenting coach helps the parent that they're working with understand better the parent-child relationship in terms of how we've learned over the decades, our children's feelings and emotions are valid, right? So we want, we know that children need structure. We know that our teenagers, our young adults need some structures and some rules, but we also need to be developing a relationship with them rather than what we've done for generations. And that's parent over them and speak at children. So we're involving them and we're parenting with them, learning what that looks like. Mm -hmm. You were not always a parenting coach, were you? 
I was not. It was my own parenting challenges with my five kids that brought me to the work I'm doing now. So yeah, I, I was not. I was a mom of five who been who has been through a number of uh, challenges along the way of my parenting. Not the least of which was my eldest son's addiction to alcohol. And really going through that caused me to look back at my own childhood and some of the beliefs that I had taken on that were being played out in my relationship with my husband and with my children, and they weren't healthy Um, and learning how to identify and shift those beliefs so that I could develop a healthier relationship first to myself and then to those that I love the most. Is there something that happened during your childhood that you could pinpoint uh, a behavior that translated into where you were as a mom with your family? Yes, I can tell you that I definitely um, took on an unconscious belief that I wasn't worthy of being heard. And it came from, from what I remember, I mean, I think this happened a number of times in my childhood, but the very first time when I asked myself, when 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 I came to the place of knowing you know, I believe that I'm not worthy of being heard. Where did that come from? It came from the first time I remember feeling that way was an incident that went on between my dad and I when I was six years old. And it's very clear to me, I think in childhood, you obviously don't remember every moment of every day, but there's cer- certain certain moments, certain situations and certain feelings that you take from them. And I was able to work back and reflect to this feeling of not being heard based on that particular situation. I think it then happened over and over in my life again, whether it was in the schoolroom, I didn't feel like I could raise my hand to ask a question, or I just was very introverted in my relationships um, with my friends sometimes during high school and or boys that I was dating in my marriage. I mean, it, this, is, this was a repetitive pattern that started again in childhood. And it was a very it wasn't a very, um, it was, it was an everyday moment. I guess I want to say that what I want to say is that we take on beliefs about ourselves that are sometimes limiting in the most mundane moments of our lives. And unless we take the time to kind of uncover and discover what it is we believe about ourselves and what's operate, what's operating underneath the surface, we, we can go on our, our entire lives you know, thinking that, for example, I'm not worthy of being heard, but I have a choice now that I uncovered it and I know where it came from to decide that the belief isn't true. And intellectually, I knew that, but you have to then practice the new belief. And for me, the new belief was I do have a message. It is worthy of being heard and important that I share this with people. And so every time I show up, on a podcast like this, or, you know, whether it's on, if I've been invited to be on the news, um, TikTok videos, I've gained a following there. I it's, it's because I think people are looking for people to stand in their truth because there isn't enough of it. And we don't know how to, we're, we're losing faith and trust in people being truthful. And so when we see someone who is willing to be transparent and stand in her truth and share that, we gravitate to them because there's just not enough of it. And it encourages someone else to stand in their truth. 
it is scary when you said, you know, speak your, to sit in your truth or speak your truth. Because I think all of us are worried about the consequences. What yeah. if I say what I think, what I truly believe, if I don't, and I say, hey, wait a minute, you didn't really hear me, like with your example. I want you to really understand me. People get annoyed, they get angry, they push you aside. And these are consequences I think a lot of women are dealing with in a lot of, in these times and days, a lot of these emotions are coming to the surface. That's why I'm so excited to have you at this time here with, with our uh, episode today to uncover some of that and to un unfold why it's not as scary or the steps that you will share with us later that, that somebody can apply to stand in their truth scary or not, or feeling stupid or whatever the emotions are. Yes. And I will tell you on that note that there, it hasn't come without a cost. My shifting my belief and speaking my truth has come at, at a cost in some ways, but I don't, I don't wish to undo or change anything. I am very, very comfortable in my skin at this point, And I know who I am. And the thing about it is I was hiding who that was for such a long time because of that belief that was limiting me. So of course, I want to encourage, you know, other women to, to be cautious yet brave, you know, cultivate yeah. that courage. Because again, I think there are so many people who are looking for truth, who are looking for people who are willing to be vulnerable, transparent, and as a result of that, I think they're strong. I think we think of being vulnerable and open as being weak, but the reality is it, it, it's really a strength to be able to say who you are and not to wear this mask. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to your pivotal moment where you found out that you have five children, ages 17 and 34, when you found out or that your son told you that he's an alcoholic because this would be a, in, in a woman's or a mother's mind the one of the major failures of oh my god how could this happen i failed as a, as a mother can you put us back in that moment and share with us how you felt uh what was going on at that point and how did you move forward Sure. So my son, um, we had moved from our home state of Wisconsin down to Texas a year prior to this parenting wake up call, which is what I'm going to call it. Um, <clears throat> my son had stayed behind because he had started um, a community college, had a girlfriend and they're just we didn't know anyone in Texas when we moved from my husband's job. There was no reason for him to necessarily come with us. So about a year after we were down there, he I received a phone call um, in May and um, he said, mom, I lost the last three days of my life to an alcohol binge. It isn't the first time and I need help. And I did have some inkling, mainly because I would try calling him to say hello, you know, to check in and he might take him three or four days to call me back. Um, just a mom gut instinct. I didn't know what was wrong, but I thought something was wrong. And he had actually admitted to me about six months beforehand that he was feeling anxious. And so we had kind of worked on getting him 
a therapist, but I had no idea until that time. And obviously if he spent the entire day recovering from three days of being blacked out, this is a serious problem. So I, I, I know first and foremost, being 1200 miles away from where this was going on was an anxiety producing thing. And, and in the months that ensued with all the ups and downs, it most definitely was, I definitely ended up on a plane very last minute to, you know, try and help the situation at times. Um, and I lost my train of thought. And he had the confidence to actually tell you what was going on. And I think that's super brave on his part. I mean, you're trying to hide it from everybody, including especially your mom, that you're in trouble. Um, and so you flew down there. He, he said, mom, this is what's happening. You're like, okay, I'm on the way. I'm rocking and rolling. It was, it was really, yeah. I mean, just to the gravity of the situation became very apparent very quickly. He spiraled very quickly once he told me, and I do feel we did have a really good relationship while he was in high school to a point where my friends, of course, I was a mom at 18. So I was the first one of my friends to have a teenager. But when I was going through that, my friends, I would talk about it, you know, Nick and I and how we, you know, and they're like, oh my gosh, when I have a teenager, I totally, you know, you guys have such an open relationship. Well, my son began drinking to quell his anxiety and depression at the age of 15. And so there was a lot I didn't know. We had, I, I would say that, and I know he would say that we had a very good, close relationship. We talked about girlfriends, friendship issues, all the things, but he was going between two very different homes because I had him um, prior to getting married to my husband and having four more kids. So he went between very two very, very different households. And I know that part of the contribution to this was him not feeling 100% welcome in either situation. And I, so when I got this wake up call, right, there was all this, you can, and parents most definitely, especially moms, I think, can sit in a face of feeling like they were a crappy mom or how did I miss this? Or, oh my gosh, how, why is this happening to me? Or how could this possibly happen in our family? And the reality is I did do some of that. I acknowledged where at times I had avoided his dad and certain conversations because his dad was difficult for me to deal with. Um, I, I had contributed in some way, shape or form. And I knew that, but it wasn't going to be productive to myself or to my son for me to sit in that. And so I think that's one message that I would like to tell parents, whether it's an addiction to, to something, if they're going through that as a mom or, you know, whatever, a career they, the their child is not launching and they, you know, they can't move past, you know, getting, or they can't get a job or whatever it is that they're feeling like a parent. Okay. You, it is not helpful for you to wallow in the energy of, where I messed up. We cannot go back. We can only move forward. I think it's important to acknowledge if you had part in the situation and sometimes to apologize to our kids if needed, our adult children. There's a lot of parents and adult children that are not speaking to each other. And a lot of young people who are not happy with their parents. And if we can just, again, get to a place where we can listen to our children when they have something that they're coming to us with, whether they're angry at us or, or they've, they feel we've slighted them in some way or, or they're in trouble, you know, like, like an addiction. 
Yeah. Now your son has been sober for 11 years. Yeah. How did you get him help? Um, well, I, I led him <laughs> again, a series of events. He, he went, you know, from some medical detox to outpatient to finally inpatient. And that was a big step and a huge commitment. And my delusion at the time was thinking if I delivered him to this, um, treatment center that, that they were going to take care of it and all was going to be well. That wasn't necessarily the case. He learned a lot of great skills in there, but um, relapsing is part of recovery. And I had to learn that along the way. I think what I was for him in a, from a parent perspective was someone who would hold his feelings while he did the hard work of making the choices I did not, I didn't, I, we weren't in a financial position aside from getting him through treatment to be able to fund things. Like he really, really with really little job experience and a DUI to deal with, figured out how to work in a grocery store, figured out how to, you know, like he, he had to do a lot of hard work and I was always there to listen and to hold space, but never do something for him that I knew he could do for himself, even though it was going to be difficult. I think that's a that's a powerful statement that you just made, not to do it for him or yeah, for any very... of our children, whether they are 10 or in my case, mine are 30 and 33, not to take over. And we had a situation in our house where my daughter's right now moving to a new apartment and she gets to the apartment and I'm the co-signer of the apartment because she's gone back to get a master's and uh, the landlord wanted a co-signer and, and the apartment looked like a crap hole. And I said, what happened? I thought it was supposed to be cleaned. It was supposed to be uh, move-in ready. And so my, my mama bear came in and I was like, I'm just going to call and I'm going to just talk to this person and what? Da, 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 da. And my husband's like, do not do anything. Hold back. She can do deal with it. If she needs help, she will ask. And so I would occasionally say, so how is the progress? Is somebody coming to clean or where is it? It's so hard, so hard. It is. And I did keep my lips sealed and she dealt with it on her terms for where she wanted it to be and how confrontational she also wanted it to be or the lack thereof. Yeah. So I think that is I tough. When I think about my my growing up years, and I, I want, I'm hoping that this will be a really good message. Um, when when I look back at my growing up years, and I look at becoming pregnant at 18, and the incredible difficulty that was, I ended up having to move out of my family's home and apply for welfare and figure that whole system out as a very pregnant, you know, young girl. This is where this is where I learned how to navigate life as difficult as it was. This is where we learn resilience and grit. And I think some of the problem that we have with our young people today is that because we love our kids and because we don't want them to go through difficult things at times, and because we know they've lived through a pandemic the last couple of years, and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to smooth things over and make things better because the economy's bad and they might have a, not have a job and all the things we are not doing them any favors by 
taking, again, taking away from them some of these difficult things, because that's where as a young girl or a young woman, I learned to build character. I learned by making, you know, I made some decisions that I needed to suffer the natural consequences for. My mom was very much there to help me emotionally and to hold the space for me. She always, she still does it to this day. And I think as parents, when our kids get older, that is our job is just to hold the space. And like, you know, like you said, you didn't, you wanted to jump in, you wanted to, you know, yes, but that's where if, if we keep doing those things for them, they will never learn for themselves. And they might have to experience some things that we don't want them to in order to get there. No, we're talking about love. What does, we, we are taught to love unconditionally and give it our best and all, but what does it actually mean to love unconditionally? Gosh, that's a deep question. What does it actually mean to love unconditionally? I think it is to allow our kids to be in the context of parenting or even our spouse, really, in order to allow our the people in our lives to be who they are and not who we want or need them to be. And that can be very difficult with our kids because we have, I know, I can give you an example from my own parenting. I have a son that's 28 and he is studying to become a Catholic priest. And all of the while he was growing up, he was, he's, he's a great big brother. He worked as a camp counselor in our community. I always thought he is going to be an amazing dad and father. I just assumed that this was going to be the place in the case. When he came to us many years ago and said, I'm, I'm going to go into you know, um, the seminary, and I'm going to study to be a Catholic priest. He was choosing the one, the one vocation that he will never have that ability. And I was feeling, I didn't even realize I kind of had that expectation of him, of course, but a friend of mine kindly said, you know, Kim, maybe he's meant to be, um, not meant to be a dad to a few, but a father to many. And so that really put in perspective for me, you know, that again, we have these preconceived notions of what our kids will do and who they will become. And this absolutely is his calling. I wouldn't have chosen it for him, but it is not my life. It is his life. And he feels very called and I can see that. And so of course I'm joyful to see him, you know, doing something that he feels very called to do. I love that a father to many. This is that was such a pointed, like different view to look at it. Yes, I mean, yes. I, 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 I really, I, I saw that friend. She moved away, and I just saw her recently. And I told her that that had stuck with me so much. And she's like, "Oh my gosh, Kim, that's." Great. I'm like, "No, like really, I needed to hear you say that." Um, it just, and I, and again, you know, I think that we get very, very invested. We love our children. But I, I, I'd love to share a quote, if you're okay with that, that I think will really resonate. Okay, so I believe that our children come through us, not for us, except for the lessons they reflect to us during their journey in an effort to grow us up along the way. The children in our lives are here to be and can be our greatest teachers. Okay, I'm going to let that sink in. You can rewind a little bit. That's totally okay. Because I'm going to just start crying here in a minute. 
Well, and that came to me like while I was vacuuming, like honestly, like it came to me when I was vacuuming. And so it's the la very last page in my book. And, and, it, and I do think there is profound meaning in that. And I, it was just downloaded to me. So um, I'm glad that I caught it and wrote it down because, you know, on my mind, I might not have remembered it. So when I want to touch back just a little bit back of when we're raising kids with intention and guidance, but oftentimes we're taught, and I know that from my family, we're taught uh, fear and control instead of intention and guidance. And I think that progress, you have this habit or behavior or whatever, whatever you want to call it ingrained in you, it will continue to control not the relationship only with your children, but also with the other people around you. What do you, what are your thoughts around that? That you, you know, like you, like you, you said you earn somebody's love. It's like in order to, you know, get the lollipop, I have to vacuum the kitchen or whatever it is, you know, yeah. something so that there's, there's, and, and I see that also my upbringing, that it was, if I was good, and I did everything it was asked of me, then I got that. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I think that there's definitely a lot of us grew up in a situation where we um, behaved for love and acceptance. We behave, we were performing for that love and, you know, rather than feeling innately worthy because for generations we've parented in a way that behavior has been the central most important part of the relationship in the parent-child dynamic and when you behave then you feel the love right you you you're, you know your parent you know when you're doing well if you're do, making the grades or you're doing all the things you're staying out of trouble it's like you're you're on the good side you, you're you know you're, you're feeling the love from your parents and when you're not then you don't Right. And, and many of us inherited that desire to become people pleasers, but we have to realize and shift the notion that it's about behavior. Really the most important thing, and I think this is this is just it is a parenting movement. We are evolving out of behavior being the central focus to one of building relationship and connection as being the focus. If you build the connection and relationship with your children, the behavior you'd like to see is going to come as a result of that. It's about building the relationship with them, which is not a friendship. And, and I, you know, I think sometimes people will go, oh, so there's no rules. And so therefore, you know, you're just gonna let the kid roll the roost. Absolutely not. It's about the delivery of the message. It's about having a mutual, respectful relationship with your children where you aren't in a position of saying, you will respect me because I'm the mom or I'm the dad. It's about, I respect who you are. I hear and see and validate your feelings. I may not agree. We may, you may not get your way, but, I, but to be seen and heard is all all of us really want. And that is especially true for children. So shifting away from parenting out of fear and control, which is again, what a lot of us lived with. And there's a lot to fear now. There's a lot to fear and a lot of parents out of fear and, and that love and protection want to control. But kids are saying kids, children's and young adults behavior is definitely mirroring back to us and saying, I'm not doing this with you. I'm not, you know, like, so again, I think our best 
defense, if I can use that word loosely, is developing a relationship with where we're parenting with our kids so that they will value themselves enough to make healthy choices in their lives. Because goodness knows there's lots of ways that they can get into unhealthy relationships with substances or behaviors. And that's what I learned with, you know, walking, walking with my son through his addiction is, is, you know, it was that as well. It was a coping strategy. Yep. You know, I sometimes hear some of my friends or clients tell me that their son or daughter are their best friend. You know, we're so close. We share everything. We talk about everything. And it's like my best friend. And I experienced that with my mom way back when she was in her 40s. So she's now going on 80. And I suddenly became her best friend. And it made me feel uncomfortable because she would tell me things that a daughter doesn't need to know. She would talk about things about dating or whatever else was going on. But I was like her best friend. And I just was putting on the brakes going, uh, I don't want to hear any of this. I, I'm not your best friend. I'm your daughter. And there is um, a barrier or a, a border that I need to pull up because my mom clearly doesn't see that as an issue. But I've seen other uh, women in similar patterns. What are your thoughts on that? That just came to mind. <laughs> Well, I think, um, I mean, my, I feel very, very close to my mom. It's interesting because my daughter is 17 and I, I, I envisioned us being, you know, closer we we, we get along well, but we're not overly close. And I thought back to my own relationship with my mom during my teen years. And I, I felt like she was somebody I could talk to, but certainly didn't confide totally in. It was when I had my first son that I really, I would say became closer to my mom in a way that. I think was more of a friendship because I, or maybe a mentor, to be honest, maybe it was more of a mentor relationship. I I do think that what we're working towards in a long-term situation with our children is that as adults, we can become more friend-like, but I think there certainly has to be you know, there has to be lines drawn around certain relationships, maybe learning too much about your parents' marriage or, you know, something like that. There, there is like, like you say, I think there really needs to be some kind of boundary, but the hope is that we can get through these adolescent years, not white knuckling it, but get to a place with our adult children where they want to spend time with us because, you know, we, it, it's, it's a long-term relationship and we don't, and if we, if we continue to white knuckle our way through it at when they become adults, they will very clearly turn away in that one, or, or it'll just become so uncomfortable, which is why I really focus on working with moms in this period of parenting, because I think it's so important and moms, my age, moms of this, you know, age range, grew up many of, I mean, we are, I, we are, again, we are making big movements in the way we parent children. And it's my generation of parenting that really has the most growth to do to get this idea of parenting with rather than over our kids, because many of us grew up in this kind of paradigm. Great segment into the process of uncovering limiting beliefs and shifting them into the ones that better serve your, our relationships and also ourselves or the people we love around us. So talk about that. 
Yes, I call it um, looking back to move forward. I'm actually working on a TEDx talk on this on this particular thing. So looking back to move forward is a process of um, four questions and looking at your belief system. So as I mentioned earlier, I sat down at one point and this happened over a period of time. I don't, it's not gonna happen overnight, but if you start to journal on the question, what do I believe about myself? Some of the first things that will come up will be, I believe I'm a good friend. I believe, you know, I believe that I do my job well. You know, some of the more surface, the roles that we play, but that's not who you are. And so when I began to uncover things like, um, I'm not worthy of being heard. I can't trust myself. I don't make healthy choices. Money, you know, to be, to have a worry about money all the time. These came from, subtle situations and things I heard my parents say that they probably didn't even know I heard, you know, all the things that, that we absorb as children and the experiences we have that, that write on who we are, especially in that relationship with our primary caregivers. And so the first question being, what do I believe about myself? Then where did that come from? Because I think it's very important for us to think about like, where was, when was the first time I felt this way? When was the first time I felt I couldn't trust myself? And then the next question is, is it true? And then the fourth question is, if it's, if that's not true, what is true? Right? So what do I believe about myself? Where did that come from? Is it true? And if it's not true, what is true? That's tough work for many, I'm sure. I'm just thinking of what would I write down? I don't know. I don't well, really think not, about that. <laughs> I, I will tell you, I did not do it in one day. I'm telling you that, you know, it really is a process of, first of all, a desire to want to understand yourself better. I think it's a good process for getting there, but it is not oh, let's sit down in 10 minutes in a chair and, you know, with a cozy cup of coffee and go through these questions. I think you can, you can ruminate a bit on what do I believe about myself? And that will then, you know, and then the next things I think progress from there, but really taking stock in like, as a 50 some year old woman, what do I believe about myself? Yeah. That's like you said earlier, it's how do we look back to move forward because that has driven our belief system our way we're acting towards ourselves and others and what is really the truth I can imagine that that it's really no I know not imagine I know it's really difficult to be honest with yourself mm -hmm. yes it takes a lot of courage and and then like the parents that I work with I will say, you know, to, to shift the way you're parenting or to shift beliefs about yourself, both of these things are obviously so personal, takes a great deal of courage and it's not easy. And, and I will say to women that I'm working with, I can't work harder at this than you. I'm here to hold the space. I'm here to mirror and reflect back to you. I'm here to, to be a good listener and ask you the next question that will bring you to either plant a seed or will bring you to your next revelation. But I think that we, because we take on these beliefs in our childhood, we often are continuing to abandon ourselves 
and we become disconnected from ourselves because like in my case, how many times did I abandon myself in the name of being who somebody else needed me to be rather than who I truly was? I mean, I did that a lot. Like you said earlier, people pleaser. Oh, mm -hmm. if I do exactly what they want me to do, I things will go smooth sailing and I do exactly what's expected of me. And there will be no rough waters. Nobody's going to argue. Nobody's going to get mad at me or whatever the emotions are. They come with going with the flow, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that one, not wanting to create conflict keeping the peace. I mean, as, as women, I think we're super good at the desire to, you know, want to keep things smooth and we will tamper our own feelings and take on other people's feelings in the process of wanting to make sure things, you know, stay settled and, and not live in, you know, drama at times. Yeah. but it's a cost. It's a cost. And so when women come to me and they say to me, either they're, um, they're getting close to being in an empty nester or they're, you know, that's, that's where they are. And I, this is the group of people that I work with. And they say, I've lost myself. I don't know who I am. And it is because over and over they have abandoned themselves in the process of trying to make everyone else happy or make things okay, or keep the peace, all of those things. Yep, absolutely. I hear this all the time. And I'm just like, you, you need to step up to what you deserve, what you desire. But that's tough. What will be from your perspective, just one tiny step in the right direction be that you could tell the listeners, you know what, I don't know you, but here's what I think you could start. I would say to become an observer of your life. And once you, once you are on the journey of this, once you become aware and uncomfortable, uh, you're, you, you start to, you know, become aware of situations where you're speaking and you're not feeling what you're speaking. You know what I'm saying? It's not in alignment, become more aware or become more, more of an observer in your life. And that's really where it begins. And when I start working with someone it's amazing how when we start to kind of uncover and unravel, it may, it may appear scary at first, but there's a lot of liberation and power in stepping into what you know to be your truth and leaving behind, again, the abandonment and disconnection you often lived for many years in order I'm to sure be, just, right? Yeah, we're just keeping the tissue box really close by. <laughs> Well, it's heavy, you know, it's heavy work, but I think the older I get, the more important that gets to me, you know, that the more important that is for me, I, my, I've, I've really examined many of the areas of my life, the, the kind of media that I will be a part of the music that I listen to. I'm working on the food I eat. That's always a, you know, I'm a little bit of a sugarholic, um, but, you know, I, the desire is there and I'll get there, you know, at some point, I'm never going to be a perfect human being. We're all a work in progress, but to become more observant in your life. And then that leads to who do I want to be in my life? Who becoming more intentional and asking those big questions and starting to read. There's some amazing books in the world. Um, one of the ones that had the most profound effect on me was Bronnie Ware's The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. 
And in that, the top regret of people who are, she's a hospice worker and the people who are, who, who she's worked with that were dying, the top regret was being what everyone else wanted or needed you to be instead of who you truly were, truly are. And so that is the one thing that I, that's stuck with me so much from that book is like, am I being what someone else needs me to be? Or am I being who I truly am? And yes, it does take courage, but it's also incredibly beautiful and empowering. Are there any final words you would love to share with my listeners? I think we're in an age right now, again, of wanting to seek truth. And sometimes that's difficult to find in the outside world. And it's very important that we start within us. If each of us did a little bit of work and and found a little bit more truth in ourselves and lived a little bit more authentically, can you imagine what the world would be like? So I want to encourage women, if you're hearing this and if this resonated with you at all, to you know really begin to become an observer in your life. Now, Kim, you're on a lot of podcasts and people ask you a lot of questions. What is one question that you wish an interviewer would have asked you? That is a good question. Um, probably, let's see, what would be a good question? Is it easy to show up on podcasts or on TikTok videos or, you know, how, how is that for you really? I think, I think that would be a great question. Okay. Answer that question for us. Well, I am fairly, I'm fairly an introvert in terms of, um, I really, it takes a lot of energy. Like I have to regroup after doing something like this, just even taking a few minutes by myself. TikTok videos, I love them. I love to engage with parents that I'm engaging with on there, but I have to like really physically remove myself because it's very energetically draining. Um, I can be very pleasant in person and I, and I, I, I do like to be around people, but when I'm done, I'm done. Like I'm done. <laughs> I saw, like, I gotta I mean, go. I've been, I've been checking out your, in preparation for our interview, I've been checking out your TikTok and you give it your oral girl. I have to say it. I'm like, she's on and she's given good information, useful information, no chitter chatter. I'm like, woo, yeah. <laughs> I try, I try. And, and the thing about it is I don't do those ahead of time. So when you see a video, I have literally just taped it and I'm uploading it. I mean, and I will change my shirt during the day and do a couple, you know, but it is me that you're getting and the person that you see in person very much should be that person that you are seeing on the TikTok video. I just, I think that's why I'm gaining the traction because because this is who I am. You can like me or not like, but like this, this is who I am. And I've come here to this point and I've fought hard for to discover who I truly am and now I'm gonna cry <laughs> <laughs> that's okay I give you my tissue box but it's and that's we know what I love is and I'm going to do that too not waiting for the moment where you record all the videos because I have these thoughts during the day and I'm just like I just want to belt it out and I'm like okay listen to me I just thought of what I heard today and here's da, 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 da. and I see that in your videos which is Awesome. So with, with that, where can the listeners reach you and connect with you, Kim? My website is reallifeparentguide.com. 
And that's where you can learn about my services and my book and, and all of that. I am on TikTok, not exclusively, but all of most of my energy does go into TikTok at Kim Minch Parent Coach. And then I'm also on Instagram, Kim Minch, and Facebook, Real Life Parent Guide. So I'm on those other socials, but TikTok is really where I'm connecting with my tribe. And so I'd love to have your your, your uh, listeners who are on TikTok come and check me out. So we always put the links in the show notes because, of course, we don't expect you to, while you're driving, kind of, you know, speak it into your phone and say, oh, remember that link or start for God forbid that you start writing things down. So all the links will be in the show notes so you can connect with Kim and ask her more questions. But at the end of each show, I'm asking you, and we really mean it, we want to connect with you. Go to, go to Instagram for Heike Yeats and pursue your spark. On, I mean, I'm everywhere under Heike Yeats. As you know, as an avid listener, by now I'm everywhere. I'm also now on TikTok. That's why I hang out with Kim over there. We want to know. We want to hear from you. We are pouring our heart and soul into these episodes, sharing our experiences and maybe giving some advice or help or any lessons that you can take away with but we want to hear from you. We want to hear how this worked for you. What questions do you have? What was your feedback on, on this segment? Did you say, whoa, this was totally meant uh, about me because, and I always say too that we are listening, we are reading those comments and we're responding. So it's not like you ask a question and nobody's ever going to go back to you or you can DM us or reach out on, to us on email if it's too long of a thing to share, but we want to hear from you. That's why we're here on the podcast, to get into your earbuds and from your earbuds into your heart and into your mind so we can connect on that front. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Kim. It was a pleasure finally meeting you. Yes, Heike, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. So thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Ciao!